Welcome to Bible study. This is Nick Rita, your host. I'm very happy to be with you again and um, introduce to you our panel for today. I would like to welcome Lija. Thanks for coming to the program, Lija. Thank you. Hello, listeners. And uh, hi, Ellen. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you. Very Great. good to have you with us again. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. And Len, welcome Len. Yeah, hello listeners, it's great to be with you today. Now Len uh, is our facilitator for today and um, not wasting too much time Len, I will just hand it to you straight away. We have a very important lesson to look at today, a Bible study about Jesus and uh, Revelation. Yeah, that's right. Last week, as you may remember, we were looking at the book of Daniel in terms of end-time events. This week we're looking at the book of Revelation and we're looking specifically where you find Jesus in the book of Revelation. I want to say this. There are many people who find Revelation a book that cannot be understood and they're missing so much important information but you know, when you open your Bible and you look at the book of Revelation, the first five words are, anybody in the panel got that? The revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. So you would think that people would like to study the book of Revelation because it reveals Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Yes. The revelation is all about Jesus, about who he is, about what he has done for his people, and about what he will do for us at the end time. Any focus on last day events must keep Jesus front and center out of necessity, which is exactly what the book of Revelation does. Okay. Revelation is a prophetic book. It talks about past, present and future events. And the book that's closest to it in the Bible is, can you guess what? Daniel. Yes, the book of Daniel. It's not closest in the, the actually, if we turn up the Bible, the, the book before Revelation isn't Daniel, is it? No, it's, it's Jude. The, yeah, it's in the Old Testament, Daniel. <laughs> but in content, where it looks at the world events and things, Revelation and Daniel are quite closely linked. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 24 that we would do well to study the book of Daniel. A lot of people don't understand the book of Daniel, or at least parts of it. Both these books have much to offer. Both of them are both historical, talking about past events, and eschatological. Now, panel, does anyone know what that strange word is? Eschatological means that is dealing with end time events, with the last day days or future events. That's right. It, eschatological means looking into the future, particularly about the time of the coming of Jesus. Now, Helen, would you be so kind as to read to us from 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1, 2, 3, and 11? Yes, I'd love to. 
It says here, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So basically he's just going on saying that don't be ignorant of what's happened in the past to the children of Israel, you know, when they had to come through the sea and when Moses was there. But these things are given for our example, for our time now. All right, to learn something from. Mm -hmm. In fact, um, I've heard somebody say once, the only thing we learn from history is that we don't learn anything from history. But that's not what it says here, that by looking at events of the past, we can realize what's happening right now and what will happen in the future. In the book of Daniel, last time we had having Bible study, we talked about Daniel and his three friends. We didn't get a lot of time. But uh, you might remember that Daniel, well, at least in the book of Daniel, it's recorded about his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, disobeyed the king's command, that's King Nebuchadnezzar, and what was the punishment for disobeying his command? Death. Hell. They were throwing a fiery furnace, so this was a death punishment. Okay, well, I don't know. Plenty of people have lost their lives in fire. But what happened in the case of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego? Were they burnt? When they were in the fire, the king noticed that there was a fourth person, or he seemed to think there was a fourth person, and he said, this is like unto the Son of God. And when they took them out of the fiery furnace, there wasn't even the smell of smoke on them, and the ro you know, apart from the ropes coming off. That was an amazing miracle. Then. It certainly was. Mm. So King was rather surprised, and he changed his tune very quickly. Wasn't it a powerful testimony, though, to their, their courage and their faith in God? Regardless whether they were going to survive mm. or not, they said, you know, we'll go ahead with it. We won't worship yeah. your image. That's right. It's powerful. They emerged victorious. Yeah. They were faithful to God, and God was faithful to them. And in fact, it ended up so that the king also made a proclamation that people should honour the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Helen. By, yeah, let me just make a, a comment here, Len, if I may. By studying the stories that we've just looked at in Daniel, for example, we can get glimpses of, and insights into some of the things that God's people will face on a broader scale in the end. And perhaps, though, the most important is that regardless of our immediate situation here, we are assured of ultimate deliverance. Whatever else Revelation teaches, it does assure us of the faithful of victory. Well, yeah. isn't that fantastic? And just another thing, uh, we're talking about these two books, Daniel and Revelation. It's an amazing thing to see the um, links in between these two books. For example, as you just mentioned uh, in the book of Daniel, learning that those three young men were thrown into the, the fire and uh, God protected them. Now, John, the revelator, 
who wrote this book, Revelation, which we are um, talking about, and to find Jesus in Revelation, and also we, we will see Jesus in Old Testament as in the New Testament. And John himself was punished, you know, but God protected him. I mean, history, we, we just mentioned about historical events and eschatological events. You know, history uh, tells us that John was thrown into a, a heated... Boiling oil. Yes, but God protected him. And probably what you just said, Helen, is that God is assuring us that if we are faithful and stay close to him, he will look after us. Even though we learn that some people paid with their life for the faith which they have in God. But in the end, our life is not only for this time and now. Mm -hmm. And we learn more in this study what God is preparing for each one of us. Mm -hmm. Just going back to what um, Helen read from uh, Corinthians, that from the past we can learn, uh, have lessons that will affect us and in the present time and in the future. And what you've just said, Nick, is very important, that God protected those men because they were faithful. God protected Daniel because he was faithful. God protected and elevated Joseph because he was faithful. And on and on and on. The lesson is for us here. Mm. We must be faithful. I think it's interesting that when you do look at some of these examples, people are actually frightened. They say, how can we stand? You know, they did that in the past. What if God calls us to that? I think we have to rest on the promise of God that he will be with us always. He knows the end from the beginning. And your word faithful is a very important word, Len. You know, if we stay faithful to him, we can trust his promise that he will stay faithful to us. And whatever he brings to our life, he will take us through it. We have nothing to fear for the future except we forget the way he's led in the past and the teachings and that includes the children of Israel. We can see how he led. We can see how he was Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and that should give us courage to face the future. These are the lessons yes. that are for us to not take to be it into account, not to be frightened no. and to learn from, from it and apply it in our own lives whenever it comes to the circumstances. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In the book of Revelation, it says near, at, right at the beginning, the revelation of Jesus Christ. But in verse 3, and Lydia, would you like to read that verse? There are two blessings mentioned by reading the book of Revelation. So would you like to read that verse, Lydia? Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart. What is written in it, because the time is near. Okay, so what are those two blessings? Where do you get those two blessings from? Firstly, from... From, from hearing. Reading and hearing. Reading. Reading. Take it to your heart. I mean, keep it in your heart. Yes. Applying it Applying in your own it, life. Yes. And as you read through, you'll read that the wicked will be ultimately punished and the righteous, the faithful ones, will be the victors and will go home and live with Jesus and have eternal life forever and ever and ever. Can I just say something again? You know, it's interesting when you look deeply into that verse, how important it is and how God 
put the Bible together so well that can apply in our lives. We live in a time when we are people of you know, like hearers and sometimes not doers. Mm -hmm. You know, we like to hear things, we are amazed about things, but we are not probably deep searchers, you know, of the truth, you know, to read it for ourselves. Because when you read it, then you give time, you know, you, you try to understand something, not just hear it. A lot of Christians put it this way, um, we like to just go to churches, hear a good message, you know, and after we leave the church, we forgot all about. Because we are just hearers, and maybe sometimes not doers. Well, you know, television could be to blame for that. Because mm -hmm. television, there will be, they usually set up a problem, a conflict of some sort. And then within the half hour, it's all solved and fixed. So we see it in front of our eyes, problem, problem solved. I ask myself, and I, I ask this as a general question, in what way is a person blessed from taking to heart the words of the, this book, the book of Revelation? If you apply it in the circumstances of your daily life, you find blessings. It's not easy to apply in your, in your life, but if you work hard to apply it, there is a blessing. Yeah, okay. And ways, yeah, you ask about ways, you know, in, in which we can be blessed. As uh, we mentioned from the beginning, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And what else is more important for us now than to know our Lord Jesus Christ? And in Revelation, it's interesting that Jesus is not just revealed, but is revealed in, in the context of time we live in which is very important because, mm. you know, in Daniel's time, God said, you know, write down, those things are not for you. you. Even if you don't understand it, seal it, it will be for another time. But now, if we read Revelation in conjunction with the Old Testament, with Daniel and many other books, we'll see how God is fulfilling His promises today in our time. Okay. Did I think, answer? yeah, I was yeah. just going to say, the, the blessing too comes when it says to hear. Faith comes by what? Hearing. By mm -hmm. hearing. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. And if you study into the books of Daniel and Revelation, your faith will increase. You take it to heart. And that in turn means that we are coming up for the last days. And this enables us with faith to be ready for those days and I believe that's a blessing mm. you were you've expressed what I was going to say oh, but I'll say it anyhow in different words the book of Revelation opens to us present and future events and past events too and it also points out that there are going to be some ter terrifically difficult times ahead for this whole planet because after all there's a conflict going on between good and evil, between Christ and Satan. And I believe that this book is something that prepares God's people for those conflicts, prepares God's people for, well, if you like, eternity. All right, well, we're going to move on to something different. Now, because Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ, the book presents some images of Jesus. Now, if you go back to Isaiah, if you go back to the, the Gospel of John, Jesus is often presented as a lamb, a 
a sacrificial lamb, gentle and quiet and not assertive. But the book of Revelation adds to those images and descriptions of Jesus and gives some other descriptions. And I want to read to you from verse 5. If you've got your Bibles there, uh, listeners, it's Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. I'll read back a little bit. It's talking about the throne of God. Grace, no, I'll read to you from verse 4. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and now it's becoming specific from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of earth now what were those three descriptions applied to Jesus here panel faithful witness right. Another one? Firstborn from the dead. Yes, and? And the ruler of the kings of the earth. Right. So what does it mean, faithful witness? How is Jesus the faithful witness? Witness to what? Did he not come to show us the Father? Was he not faithful in doing that? Is that a question or a statement? That was a question to you, Len. All right. <laughs> but it but can be a, yes, a, a it statement. Yes, can be a statement. I mean, he came to reveal the Father. He did. He was a faithful witness, wasn't yes. he? Not? Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. He says that in John 17. Mm. All right. Firstborn from the dead. What's that mean? The word firstborn may refer to the first, but it also means preeminent the most important. Moses' resurrection from the dead preceded Jesus' resurrection from the dead. So therefore, we must apply the word firstborn to the meaning of the most important or the pre having preeminence above nice. everyone else. Can I just throw something there? It may be a little bit um, uh, difficult to just go into that subject uh, fully, but uh, even though Moses was raised up, was raised up by God, was raised up, you know, uh, in different um, circumstances, but Jesus, through his life and perfect life, that was the Lamb of God without blemish, he died and he even said before that i had the power to give my life mm -hmm. take it back now he was the first one to be born to be raised up after death because of his living as he lived on this earth a perfect life with no man could live moses didn't live a perfect life that's a good point nick now before we go on to the next um description of Jesus, I have come across some uh, religious groups who claim that Jesus was not divine. They used a text from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 15, where it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. They apply it to meaning born, born first. 
And they apply this and say, look, Jesus was not divine because he had a birth. But I think they've got it drastically wrong because if you apply the meaning we've just applied here, meaning the Supreme One, then there's not a problem. If you read it the other way, there is a problem. The firstborn over all creation, the preeminent one. And if you read the book of Colossians, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it talks about Christ actually being the creator. So you cannot apply the, t the meaning born first. You have to have the meaning preeminent. Otherwise, it just doesn't make sense. All right. Now, there was another meaning there from Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. Another description given to Jesus, which was ruler of the kings of the earth. The kings of the earth. How do you understand that, panel? The kings are set up only by God, weren't they? Yes. It, but, but Jesus is above all. Exactly. He's not subject to any government, any no. king. He is over all. Although he submitted himself for a time to uh, live by the laws of the land when the Romans were in power at that part of the world. But now... He's not subject to anybody. He is ruler over all governments, all rulers, and so on. And you see those three descriptions of Jesus we get from Revelation are quite a lot different than the descriptions we have from, say, Isaiah in the Old Testament, mm. where he's a lamb, that he was bruised for our iniquities, and so on and so on. Here he's presented as... In, in glory and majesty. Well, we've got some more descriptions coming up. And Helen, would you be so kind as to read Revelation 1, verse 18? Love to. It says, and Jesus is speaking, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Okay. Hey, that's good news. Amen. All right. So he says, I am the living one mm -hmm. first. What does that mean? I am the living one? Well, you need to join it in with, and he was dead. Yes. Because he was dead. It's not that he is still living, living, living. He was dead. Yeah. And he rose from the dead is why he's now the living one. He really was all the time. He always was. He even was. More so. <laughs> he yes. was. He is and was the life giver. Yep. Life is in him. And he set that aside for our sakes, which should make us pretty grateful. I know I feel very grateful. But then we've got this other one where he says, I hold the keys of death and Hades. Can we just jump back and mention that he's alive forevermore? Yes. I think that's really important. Yes. Yeah. Because there are plenty of people who worship entities that are dead mm. but Jesus is not dead mm -hmm. the angel announced at the tomb he's not here he's risen and he will be alive forevermore yeah. that's good news for us now we've got this other one here where he explains he says I hold the keys of death and Hades what does that mean 
because he became victorious over the dead. It means he holds the key of the dead is in his hands. So he is alive. He is victorious over death. Okay. Now, by what? Because that's a that's another thing. I mean, as God, it's one thing, uh, but we were created to live with God, you know, to live an everlasting life, and through sin, to disobedience, we lost that, and we became mortal. Now, Jesus being born, and this is another uh, very hot subject, which we don't go in that today, but Jesus was born on this earth, the same like us. Interesting enough. Mm-hmm. But through his life and through his, his sacrifice, sacrifice, he overcome death. And that's why he's now the ruler, if you like. All right. Now, if we turn this around, it says, Jesus says, I hold the keys of death and Hades. Who holds the keys to eternal life? Well, that seems a pretty obvious answer, doesn't it? Well, what's the obvious answer? Well, is it not Jesus? Of course it is. <laughs> I he thought that was a trick question for me. No, no, it's not. It's not. <laughs> I want us to realise that those who accept the sacrifice of Jesus may have eternal life. No, I won't say may, will. Will have eternal life. But there again, those who do not accept that sacrifice, what will be their ultimate end? Sadly, the same as... It's death. death. It's death. Hades is another term for the grave. He also holds the keys to eternal life. There's only, only one way in which people will be saved, and that's by accepting the sacrifice of Jesus. But those who don't, they will go to Hades, in other words, the grave. They will experience eternal death. I think it's it's very interesting, if I can just add something here, on that verse in verse 18 where you've just mentioned, Len, and Jesus said, And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Tell me, who had the keys before Jesus said that? Who had the keys of Hades and death? Why did he stipulate that he has those keys? Well, I assume you're talking about Satan, the evil one. When he became the ruler of this earth, he was the one that had the keys to Hades and death, didn't he? Mm -hmm. And when Jesus overcame through the power of his resurrection, he then took that authority back. Is that right? Yes. Are we on track here? I think you're right. Very good point there. And and for me, I, I believe that when we place our life in Christ's hands, he can restore us just as he did then with the keys, and then he will re- resurrect us later to eternal, peaceful relationship with him. Yeah. And so that gives me an awful lot of hope that he is, if you think that Jesus isn't powerful, well, here's clue that he really is, isn't it? Of course. He's taken that rulership back. Yeah. Praise God for that. What did you want to say, Lydia? There is a song which the four elders fell down uh, at the feet of Jesus and the four living creatures, and they sang a song uh, about to Jesus and about Jesus, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God 
from every tribe and language and people and nation. This is found in Revelation 5, verse 9. Okay, and Jesus here is described the one who is worthy. Well, there was a search. A search for an angel or somebody to open the uh, sealed book of Daniel. And nobody was found to be worthy. How come Jesus Christ is described as worthy? Because he was slain, he redeemed, is that correct? Redeemed with his blood, and he gathered in, he made them priests, he appointed them to reign on the earth. So Jesus had already died and paid the penalty for sin. That's what made him worthy. You're yes. right. Yes. Yes. He is the only one who is worthy. All right. Well, so far we have these descriptions of Jesus in Revelation. Faithful witness, firstborn from the dead, ruler of kings, the living one, the one who holds the keys of death and the Hades, and I'd also like to say the keys to eternal life. Yes. Now we're going to look at Revelation chapter 19, and there's quite a few verses here. If you've got your Bibles, follow with me. It's Revelation 19, verses 11 through to 16. Wouldn't you like to, before that, start singing, Worthy, worthy is the Lamb? Yeah, but we haven't got time. <laughs> it says, verse 11, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Well, you've got a whole lot of descriptions here. So if you look back in verse 11 he has he is the rider and he is called faithful faithful and true yes the word of god yes the king of kings one uh, and lord of lords and uh, these names were written on uh, his white robe so Jesus was dressed metaphorically in a white robe. Right. What does white usually uh, refer to in Pure. prophecy? Pure. Purity. Clean. Purity. Yeah. yeah purity, purity. Cleanliness. But his robe without was, sin. His robe was dipped in blood. What's the significance of that? He was a victor. Yes. Not a victim. A victor. Yeah. He showed victory. Yes. It's interesting all those different names too, Lynn, as we're looking at them. It's almost like not one name is enough. You with me? 
yes. in our language. Not one name is enough. Lydia just read out that he was faithful and true, the word of God, king of kings, lord of lords. You know, not one would do him justice because he encompasses all of those. Yeah. Mm. I just want to come back to the white robe oh, sorry. dipped in mm -hmm. blood. Jesus is often called the righteous one. Yes. But, but the significance of being dipped in blood, of course, his his righteousness was given to us through the shedding of his blood, the giving mm. of his life. Now, all those descriptions, what do they look like? Do they look like a weak and miserable little something, or do they look like somebody with majesty and power and victory? That's true, Len. I mean, it, yeah. Our God is a majestic God. Our Lord is Lord is a all powerful mm -hmm. God. And uh, through His uh, uh, life on this earth and to His death and resurrection, we learn how much God loves us. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we are talking about Jesus today and about how can we find Jesus in Revelation? How? Uh, can we find Jesus also in the Old Testament and book of Daniel and so on but um, it's so powerful to be able to to have that privilege actually to know God and to be washed through his blood it's interesting that we can be washed and make clean through blood which blood actually is very strong uh, stain. stain you know yeah. mm. yes right well I think it's a privilege too, Nick. Lydia, what and did you want to say? And also he is named the Alpha and Omega. Hang on. Hang on. I'd like, Helen, would you read that text, Revelation 21, verse 6, and then comment after that. Okay, Revelation 21, verse 6 says, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Okay, what would you want to say there, Legend? Yes, I wanted to say that Jesus was the creator, the beginner, being at the beginning of the creation, and also he is going the one who will close the chapter of this earth. Right, yeah, very, very well said. I'd like to put, apply it to me. Jesus is the beginning of my life in as much as he is the creator. He's the beginning of my spiritual life mm. because he was revealed through the word of God. And if you like to put it this way, he will be the end of my life, not meaning that I will cease to exist, but it's through him that I will have eternal life. So all of me depends on him and I think that's wonderful oh. so, so Jesus is depicted in Revelation not as a helpless lamb mm. not as the sacrifice although it alludes to it but he's presented as the mighty warrior the the king of kings the lord of lords the victorious one what an, a contrast, if we, we looked back on chapter 18, what a contrast between Babylon, who was faithless and yes. deceitful, and here we've got Jesus in chapter 19, who is a true and faithful witness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What yeah. a contrast. Yes. Yeah. And Revelation presents Jesus as one who is glorious, who is victorious. 
So to continue our study, we're considering various sanctuary and temple parallels, which you'll understand a little later. Ledger, would you mind reading Revelation chapter 4, the first two verses? It's Revelation 4, verses 1 and 2. Yes. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne, a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. After this I looked. Who is the I referring to? John. Who's John? He was an apostle of Jesus. He's the John, John the Revelator. Revelator. <laughs> yes. Right, he was one of the twelve disciples. He was the only one who did not die an unnatural death. And God gave him this book to reveal Jesus Christ to the world. And I believe this happened while he was a prisoner on the island of Patmos. Now, and uh, he's, he looked in vision, I have to say, mm -hmm. and therefore before me was a door standing open in heaven. Well, this must have been a pretty wonderful vision. Tell me, what generally does the door represent? A way. The way? Jesus is usually referred to as the door. Yes, he says, I am the door, I am the gate of the sheepfold, and so on, whoever comes in by me is okay. And also, if we just want to mention just very simplistically, you know, uh, the door can be like an entrance or can be an exit, you know, but in the case we are talking about here, it's about an entrance to something. Yep. Good point. And there he yeah. says, and there before me, like, looking through this open door, there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Now, who was that someone? Let's look at verses 8 and 11. And verse 8 says, that there were some living creatures. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And that's in verse 8. Now verse 11, they continue worshipping this being and they say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Now I pointed out some text before from um, John chapter 1 verses 1 to 3, and also from Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 1 to 3 again, and also from uh, Colossians 1 verses 14 to 16. Who did John see? sitting on the throne, who is Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. 
I think is Jesus. Right. It's Christ himself. Yes. Now he's being presented in his royalty. And his his qualifications for being king, he was, he existed in the past, he exists in the present, and he will continue to exist in the future. You could also say he was because he experienced death, but we won't go into that right now. There are some other verses that explain Jesus being in heaven. I think we can't read them all, but I'll give you references, listeners, so you can refer to them yourselves. Have a look at Acts chapter 2, verse 33. I'll do that again. Acts 2, 33. Acts 5, 31. Acts 5, 31. And Hebrews 10, verses 12 and 13. Well, let's move on. Just before we do, then, can I just make a comment that I believe that the point of this chapter is summed up in the, the verse in verse 11 where all the creatures in heaven and earth will praise and honour God because he is the creator and the sustainer of everything. Yes. I think that's kind of the point of that chapter. Sorry, yep. where will we move on to now? Okay. Well, I'm going to read to you another text. And that's from um, Revelation chapter 11, verse 19. What else John sees in heaven? It says, Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the Ark of the Covenant. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. Well, we won't concentrate on those things. We want to concentrate just, yeah, on the Ark of the Covenant. Yes, Nick? Just before you say that, because I think we need to give a little bit of uh, background here, even the previous uh, verses, because when the door is open and is given here a description of what it is there, and so Jesus walking among the, you know, the lampstands, lampstands, and... Uh, we have to put together a few things here. What Jesus is doing in heaven is actually what happened on earth in the tabernacle, which was given to Moses after that image in heaven, which Jesus is now ministering in heaven, in the heavenly sanctuary, on behalf of us as sinners. And because you mentioned then about the Ark of the Covenant, then we need to see why it's important to see that here it's a link in between what happened on earth and what happens in heaven. Because it's not just a fairy tale, you know, that whatever we read in Revelation, this is a link with Old Testament straight yeah. away. Definitely. The Ark of the Covenant was really the most sacred treasure, wasn't it? in that um, of the Israelite nation. That's right. Mm. And that was the representation of mm. God mm. on earth. And now Jesus is uh, ministering before our God, the Father, you know. Okay, well, it's significant. It's very significant that the Ark of the Covenant is in heaven. Now, just carrying on from what Nick was saying, what was the significance of the Ark of the Covenant in heaven as well as being on earth. For example, what was on the what was the top part of the Ark of the Covenant called? 
the, the Shekinah. Seat. The mercy seat. It was called the mercy yeah. seat. And that signified the fact because once a year the high priest used to drop some blood of the sacrifice that was given for the sins of all the people on that mercy seat. The Ark of the Covenant signifies God's forgiveness and his mercy. Now there were other things. What was in the earthly Ark of the Covenant? Well, that was very interesting because if you look, there were three main things, I think, Len. There was the earthly Ark of the Ten Commandments in the earthly Ark, the Ten Commandments that was given to Moses. There was Aaron's rod, which, um, of course, budded and signified that he was the chosen of God. And there was the manna, which was what God fed the Israelites in the wilderness. Mm. The significance of these is the Ten Commandments, which are an expression of God's character, were that which pointed out sin. You need a rule. You need something definite in order to define sin. Then you have Aaron's rod. What did that signify? Hard question? Well, didn't I just mention that it signified that God had actually chosen Aaron because it budded? Yes. When there was a fight over who was going to take Moses I think it goes a little bit further than I, that. Thank you. If, if I can just bring, um, I mean, I'm a son of uh, of the shepherds. You know, we used to grow sheep, and we have rods. Rod represents leading. Shepherd always will have a rod, and he's leading the flock. And Aaron was called to lead, also. Um, along with Moses, of course, but uh, God chose Aaron and what happened in uh, in Egypt, you know, yeah. and what happened after some situation in the wilderness. Uh, God made clear before the children of Israel that Moses and Aaron are the ones who lead, because you know, if you remember, there was a rebellion mm -hmm. among yes, the children yes. of uh, Israel, and God wanted to show all of them that who He chose or who he chose in that regard. I'd like to suggest to you that Aaron's rod represents God's power. But what about the manna? What does that represent? God's provision. Yes. Mm. Yeah. God's provision, if you like, put it another way, God's mercy. So it is very significant that when John was uh, able in vision to see into the temple in heaven, there, right in the centre of things, well, in there at least, was the Ark of the Covenant. And another point, if we could just uh, bring here, how can we see Jesus in all of those representations? How can we see Jesus in the tablets of uh, stone with a, with a law written on? How can we see Jesus in the road? How can we see Jesus in the manna? Do you want to answer your own question? I mean, I don't mind to. Uh, Jesus is the lawgiver and uh, also he's the one who fulfilled the law, if you like. Yes. He lived it, you know, every day, every moment in what he was doing. Now, he was the one also to be victorious, as you just said, uh, the um, ruler of, we just read a bit uh, earlier, the ruler of all kings. And also he's the one who represents the manna who's the living... He's the bread of life, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, the living, yeah, the bread of life mm. and uh, the living water, if you like, mm. you know. 
Yes, mm. that's good. good well, we've got to move on. I don't know how many minutes left, but it's getting less all the time. Ledger. Yes. There's a, a little section which I would like you to please present to the, our listeners. Yes, in Revelation 1.5, we have been given a clear reference to Christ as the Redeemer, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Christ is introduced as the ruler of the king of the earth and near the end of the book he is described as king of kings. So the great news here is that amid uh, all the chaos and confusion on earth we can have the assurance that our loving Lord and Savior has ultimate control. This text points to his atoning death on the cross he has not only justified us, but sanctified us as well. Uh, it is in, in texts such as this one that we can find assurance of salvation because they show us that Jesus is the one who washes away our sins. We cert certainly can't do it ourselves. Okay. So what's Christ doing? Is he just sitting on the throne, being adored? Or is he actually doing something there? I would like to say something in that regard, Len. Um, we, spe we live right now in a very special time. It's a time in which we need to choose in regard to our salvation. We have the ultimate say because we can accept it or reject it. God is ministering for us in heaven, as we pointed out a bit earlier. He's doing what he needs to do there. But if we are not bringing our lives before him, he may move on in the um, development, if you like, of what happens in the heavenly sanctuary. And when he becomes, you know, their judge, or when he will move on, it will be too late for us. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to say, that this today is our time to answer to God and uh, make it right with God, because he's still ministering for us there in heaven. Okay, you've just answered the question. All right. There's a the fabulous text. Okay. Uh, Lynn, if you want to read it or do you want me to read it? Hebrews 7.25. Yeah, I it. think it's an absolutely amazing text. It says, therefore, therefore of course meaning, you know, Jesus has, a, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them saves to the uttermost there's an old saying that says says he goes to the guttermost or he went to the guttermost to save to the uttermost and uh, he picks us up yeah. I see it a bit like this we sin we are convicted of our sin we ask for forgiveness we pray and ask for forgiveness and our prayer of repentance goes to heaven. You could see it a bit like this. God the Father might say, Why should I forgive you? Or, Why should I forgive that person? Jesus simply holds up his hands and says, Because of me, Father. That person has pleaded their case through me. And that's how I see this intercession. Helen, would you read Revelation chapter 1, verse 7? 
Oh, I'd love to. This is another great text, isn't it? Revelation 1 7 says, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, Amen. Yes. The sad part is the tribes that will mourn, as we can read in there, and, and that will be the remorse of the ungodly. But every eye will see him. He is coming. I want to sing the song, He's Coming Once Again, but we haven't got time. Go on, <laughs> Len, your turn. All right, we may, we may do that. But just before we closing, because um, time is it's going very quickly, we, yeah, we have um, just a little bit more to go. I just want to say one thing. Jesus in the book of Revelation, you know, people think that we cannot open the book of Revelation or we cannot learn anything from the book of Revelation. But the book of Revelation is describing Jesus, the one which we need to find to make right with him right now. Yeah, he intercedes for us. He's victorious. If we make it right with him, we will be victor victors with him. All right, we've got to move on. Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. Uh, would somebody like to read that, please? Revelation 1.10, it says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Is that the one you wanted? Yeah, that's it. So which is the Lord's day? His coming, his second coming, when he will come. Oh, that's that is Lord's day. Okay, that's one one answer. But uh, this I was is saying, past tense. Isn't yeah, it? I was in the spirit in on the Lord's day. Yeah. Now, Jonah is referring on um, on the holy day of God, the Sabbath day, I believe, uh, when he had that vision. Now I've spoken to quite a few people who claim that the Lord's day is Sunday because Jesus rose on Sunday morning. And that's the only um, proof they have. Jesus rose on Sunday morning, so they say it's Lord's Day. However, if you look at Mark chapter 2, verses 27 and 28, and I wonder if uh, somebody else on the panel could look up, say, Isaiah 58, 13. This is what Mark 2, verse 27 and 28 says. Then he, that's Jesus, said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And what does it say in Isaiah 58, 13? Okay, again, I've got it here. It says, If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honourable, and shall honour him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. And verse 14 starts saying, Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. All right. So here God says, My holy day, and then he identifies that holy day by saying the Sabbath. Same as we read in Mark. Another reference is Luke chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord's Day, against what popular opinion says, is not Sunday. The Lord's Day is the Sabbath. He gave it. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and also look at Exodus, you can see this was the day that God rested from doing what he had done. It was his day. He defined it as his day. Yes, Nick? 
And I, I just want to add on that, uh, Len, in the Bible it's so clear about the Lord's Day, which refers to the seventh day, the Sabbath. But when the Bible talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, never talks about the Lord's Day, talks about the first day. Yes. I think you can say he also rested on the Sabbath in the tomb, didn't he? Yes. And remember what happened to the children of Israel in the wilderness with the manna. They could not pick up the manna, the bread, on Sabbath. They had to pick up the double portion on mm -hmm. the Friday, which if they picked up a double portion through the week, that would rot. But the double portion they picked up on the Friday, the preparation day, held over to the Sabbath. I think that's just a fabulous example. Okay, now we're going to have to jump a little bit. And I want us to go down to Revelation chapter 22, verses 7, 12 and 20. And I'll read this. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy. And then in verse 12, he says, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. And then in verse 20, he says, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Three times Jesus says, I am coming soon. Why did he say it three times? It's an emphasizing. It means attention. Be careful. It's very important. Yes. Now, when soon? He's at the door. Says, I'm coming quickly. Yeah. That's his time. So, I mean, this was uh, written down about 2,000 years ago. When is soon? Actually, soon is relative. Could be any moment. It could be. I, I might go out of this door and drop dead. Well, the next thing I, next thing what will happen, as far as I'm concerned, will be Jesus coming because I won't know anything between now and then. Now, today we didn't touch uh, various, uh, you know. Uh, various subjects in Revelation. We we're just looking about Jesus and uh, some of uh, his, uh, you know, um, descriptions, you know, there in uh, in Revelation. But we'll come to a point to understand that we live in the later days yes. of this earth and the events, eschatologically and so on, which happens, um, proves that we live in the last moments of the history of this earth. Even yeah. though the message was written down like. 2000 years ago when we will see and understand the whole context of the book of revelation then i think we'll agree that we are in a jesus is at the door it's so we must be ready we mustn't we we must be prepared yeah every time no argument with that nick mm -hmm. because anybody who studies bible prophecy can see that things are changing very much well We've got to stop. The theme of these Bible studies, the preparation for the end times, the book of Revelation provides prophecies about what will happen and, as highlighted by what we've dealt with today, that Jesus, who is now in heaven, is coming soon to take back with him the redeemed, those for whom he gave his life, and who have accepted his sacrifice. Now, listeners, it's my intention, my hope, my aim, 
to go back to heaven with Jesus. What about you, Nick? Len, the same thing. Uh, we are here for a short period of time, and as you just pointed out, we may have it just for today. Tomorrow may never come for, for us, but today to be right with God, today to give our heart fully to God, is that what matters? Yes. What about you, Ligia? What's your intention? My intention is that um, to apply the, the verse 3 that I read before, uh, it means read, hear, and uh, take it to your heart, apply it to your heart. So here it means, it has a double meaning. First mean understand, which implies that our intelligence, intellectual effort is required. But here also means obey, which implies that we should be willing to turn our understanding into actions and respond to God, God positively. And the third one, which says it's keep, um, reminds us that the spiritual life is a continuous and repetitive process. We must maintain fresh in our minds and hearts what we have read and heard. Um, the key to the book of Revelation does not depend solely on my ability or your ability or, or my skills or your skills to unlock its symbols. It also lies uh, in the way in which you and me respond to God's calling in this book to repent and serve the Lord. Okay. And what's your intention, Helen? Oh, my intention is to love the Lord and spend eternity with Him. Amen. God willing. Amen. Let me just, um, if I may just summarize a little bit. The book of Revelation, I find, you know, we need to read it. We need to study it. But I find it's not only interesting and intriguing because it deals with the mysteries of God, but it is also concrete. It is relevant because it concerns my life, your life, and the destiny of the world. Amen. Yes, I agree. Now, just before Nick closes things off, I want to ask you this question. What is your intention? What's the aim of your life, listeners? Is it your intention to be with Jesus, the one who died for you, gave his life for you, to be with him for eternity? Or are you just going to enjoy the pleasures of life for the here and now? I said before, it's my intention to be with him. And I hope that's your intention too. Thank you very much, panel, for uh, this time. And this was uh, quite a big subject and it will come even more in the book of Revelation. Uh, next week, uh, we are going to talk about salvation and end time. And that will be an amazing uh, Bible study. I hope you'll um, come back uh, with us and we'll uh, be very happy to... Uh, provide you with also some uh, answers if you like ring us anytime through the numbers which we provide until then may god bless you and don't forget keep walking in the footsteps of jesus